Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Each month, over 80,000 people download podcasts produced from the fevered mind of Royfield Brown. They cover a gamut of topics, like maps, politics, American presidents, history, the archers, Formula One, Jamaican culture, and Englishness. Go to wherever you get your podcast and type in Royfield Brown to discover a new favorite podcast today. What does Matrix, Rebel Without a Cause, and the classic weepy movie Titanic have in common? You might be surprised to hear what they have in common is that they are all gay. And in fact, according to Milo and Nico, all films are gay. Milo and Nico are an essentially a bloody funny couple. They analyse classic movies and discover that actually, deep in the narrative, are gay tropes. If you love films, and if you love film criticism, this is the podcast for you. With their tongue firmly in their cheek, Milo and Nico convince you that every film is gay. Go download it from a podcatcher of your choice today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome. I'm Royful Brown, who is sat in a rather sunny East Bay in California on one of these momentous, tumultuous days for British politics. Our prime minister, who's only been in office for some 44 days, has resigned. Political gravity has caught up with her and she has fallen on her sword. Liz Truss, her premiership will end next Friday because by then we'll have a PM to follow her. And because Britain has been famed for its political stability and because we're in such choppy political and economic waters, I thought we should have an emergency podcast, another Mid-Atlantic. Now, I've spoilt you, dear good listener, because you're probably listening to this saying, but you only put one out yesterday, Royfield. Yes. And and as things continue, we'll be putting out even more. There was probably going to be another Mid-Atlantic in 24 hours time where I'm going to be speaking 
to one of our good friends on the show, the ex-Lib Dem strategic director, Steve O'Neill, about what is the future for British politics. So that is not quite going to be the focus of today's show. Today, we're going to talk about Liz Truss, what has happened, what comes next, as opposed to looking at, in a more wider sense, about the future of, of UK politics. But just before we get on with the start of the show, I need to thank the people that have gone on to Apple Podcasts and have written positive reviews for the podcast. It fills my heart full of joy to get them. But please continue to do so because the more people that write positive reviews about the show on Apple Podcasts means that we broaden and widen our listenership. Mid-Atlantic tries to inform and to educate and to shine light on the politics on both sides of the Atlantic, primarily the US and the UK. But what we have done this summer is to widen our brief somewhat and to talk about a war in Ukraine. We talked about the migrant crisis and the death of, of Africans in, in North Africa, in Morocco. And we've talked about other things besides. So please continue to write those reviews. And actually what I will do at the end of the show, I will give everybody who's written us a review in the last couple of weeks a bit of a shout out. But on with the business of, of the day. The lettuce has lasted longer than Liz. I came into office at a time of great economic and international instability. Families and businesses were worried about how to pay their bills. Putin's illegal war in Ukraine threatens the security of our whole continent. And our country has been held back for too long by low economic growth. I was elected by the Conservative Party with a mandate to change this. We delivered on energy bills, and on cutting national insurance. And we set out a vision for a low-tax, high-growth economy that would take advantage of the freedoms of Brexit. I recognise, though, given the situation, I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected by the Conservative Party. I have therefore spoken to His Majesty the King to notify him that I am resigning as leader of the Conservative Party. This morning, I met the chairman of the 1922 committee, Sir Graham Brady. We've agreed that there will be a leadership election to be completed within the next week. This will ensure that we remain on a path to deliver our fiscal plans and maintain our country's economic stability and national security. I will remain as prime minister until a successor has been chosen. Thank you. And political stability. Mike Holden, do we have any economic and political stability left? Well, I mean, where to put it? I, I used to say, the, the phrase used to go that a week is a long time in politics. Then when Boris Johnson took over, we had a day being a long time in politics. And in the last week or so, an hour has been a long time in politics. This time last night, people were fighting in the Houses of Parliament the chief whip and the deputy chief whip both resigned. Then about an hour later, I had unresigned. And then this morning, we were all on door watch, podium watch and window watch to see when Liz Truss was going to resign. So stability is not, not the word I would use. Gulruk Khan, welcome to Mid-Atlantic. I know you've been on the show before. What word would you use to describe today in British politics? disastrous but also I think in a way it's a blessing because I don't think Liz Truss 
had a lot of trust in her, if you know what I mean, that the tea was missing. <laughs> I think people were just really fed up with her, the fact that she couldn't deliver. There was a lot of talk. She basically, you know, created so much stuff in the markets because they were not, she was not delivering that financial information as well. I mean, interestingly enough, <clears throat> the value of the pound has actually risen on the news of Liz Truss's resignation, which is, is a curious sort of indicator that perhaps despite the disaster of of and the embarrassment of our situation perhaps it's a good thing and it's a blessing in disguise really that's what i think robert best we were in another room on clubhouse earlier today as a leaver somebody voted leave where, where do you stand yes Goldrock, i i think i completely agree with what you said there if you if you don't mind me chipping in at this point um we'll have to wait and see what the next week brings, but it was clear that Liz Truss wasn't, in, in my opinion, certainly, and I think other people's opinions. She didn't seem to understand what she was doing. I, I, I don't mean to be cruel on her, but if you saw today's resignation speech, she didn't look like a woman who was upset, angry, or or, or anything other than just a bit confused. You know what? I, I, I don't know about that, Mike. I, I'll, I'll say this. I think here is somebody who the average British voter wasn't particularly aware of her, let's say, up until six months ago. She'd very much flown underneath the radar, so to speak, all the way through COVID. Yes, she was the foreign secretary, one of the most important offices of state, but she really had little profile with the average typical modal British voter. And what she's managed to do is to craft a somewhat rapid ascent to political power without really having a, a political profile. And, and she's done that with a very clear economic model to unfold in the country when and if she became prime minister. She was a diehard Thatcherite. And, and what she wasn't aware of is that the economic mores of the time have completely and utterly changed. Not only is the, the country fundamentally against that type of monetary policy, so is the left wing of the Conservative Party and the money markets, you know. So, but before, before I give you the right to reply, I'm going to be incredibly rude. And I'm just going to say hello to Robert Best. Robert, we spoke in another room on, on this app some hours ago. You voted leave. What does this, for somebody who voted leave, how do you sum up the last six years worth of British politics where that vote to leave the European Union means that we have no political stability within the country? Yeah, it's been absolutely horrible. And I'm, you know, I, I've, I've rarely voted in my life. That's about one of the few times I have voted. And it was a massive mistake. I'm not going to hold my hands up to it. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm embarrassed I did it. Because basically, I fell for the nonsense. I fell for the Boris bus that said it was going to be £350 million a week to the NHS. That never happened. I fell for the, you know, the kind of the getting out of way from, from unelected bureaucrats nonsense. The immigration thing wasn't, didn't really impact on me. That's, you know, that's a, a whole different thing. But, uh, but I was wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. And, and I, there was, interestingly, there was a, a, a little film released on YouTube two days ago by the Financial Times called The Brexit Effect. It's only about half an hour. It's well worth watching. And it just goes through calmly and logically and very much sort of data driven if you like saying this is this is this is a, an act of self-harm 
by the by the British, and uh, I've been a part of that, and I'm sorry. Well, to to be fair to you, you're in good company. I think a 52% of adult British voters who decided to vote on, on that also vo- voted that way as well. But that vote was made. Uh, Jason Cunningham, welcome to our stage, sir. Why did Liz Truss tough it out till? today, considering that the Conservative Party has been in open revolt for at least two weeks? Should she have fallen on her sword sooner? Or was her timing inevitable because of Braverman's resignation yesterday? Yeah, that's a good question. I, you know, I think, I think, you know, she's probably been, you know, led by example. How many times, how many months did it take to, to throw Boris? I mean, you know, I'll be honest, she's gone remarkably quickly you know within a matter it feels like within a matter of weeks for you know when it when it all kind of kicks off with this that first budget yeah and i just think the model of the last few years has just been digging 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 doesn't matter what he throws you know doesn't matter what what happens just you know overturn deny just keep going keep going keep going you know throw another throw another story at the you know at the, at the press see whether we can just distract everyone but yeah I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad she's. I'm glad she's gone, but obviously that's not the question. It just feels like back to square one again. Just for, for context, and, and, and I hope if you, if you do start talking about the kind of migrant crisis, I am currently stood on a cliff top. Don't fear, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not feeling suicidal. Overlooking the Channel, I can see France. There is a rather symbolic storm on the horizon at the moment. Literally lightning, I can see, and I know beneath me right now there are light, very likely to be boats crossing the channel at the moment as they have been you know i've I've seen boats coming in this year jason Uh, what direction are the boats going in though surely the boats are leaving britain going to france (laughs) (laughs) yeah weirdly weirdly the traffic jams going out of dover have actually yeah extended again no they're you know they're coming in and but anyway okay all right so here we are it is the 20th of october and we've had a prime minister who's lasted for 44 days. She's going to have the shortest tenure in British history. Mike Holden, where next for the Conservative Party? Well, we, we seem to have gone from a situation where 43% of the electorate elected Boris Johnson, 181,000 Tory MPs, Tory members, sorry, elected at least trust. And now Graham Brady's going to choose three people one of whom will become Prime Minister, who may be Boris Johnson again. The, the rules, are, I, I'm, uh, our transatlantic friends may not be aware of this, but the, the rules have been announced now. They have to find 100 MPs to back them, which I think is a move, well, designed to shorten the process because obviously they've given themselves a week to do this, but also possibly to, let's say, encourage people to choose someone other than Boris. But from our point of view, and I know this is crazy because you've heard me many a time, saying what a disaster Boris is doing for the country. I think he, he should have a go because if he goes in now, there is a procedure going on in Parliament now to determine whether he lied to Parliament last time he was Prime Minister. And if that finds that he was, he did lie to Parliament, he will be potentially suspended, potentially face a recall election and potentially ejected within a couple of weeks. And then, of course, Graham Brady will choose three other people in the name of stability who's going to be the next prime minister. But surely you're playing short-term party politics with the international standing of the country and with the good governance of the country, Mr Holden. And and we both admitted this, that as people who vote consistently for the other side, part of this, you, you have to politically rub your hands with glee because of the mess that the Conservatives have actually made. But 
we are talking about the leadership of the fifth or slash sixth biggest economy in the world, etc., etc. And because of ill management, because of missteps, mistakes made with fiscal and economic policy, everybody's mortgages are going to go through the roof. Gulruk Khan, where next for the Conservative Party? Who's going to be the the safe pair of hands that can deliver us out of this economic and political instability? Well, it's quite interesting because there are some statistics there. I mean, bookmakers are already offering odds on who they think think will be next. So according to one particular bookmaker, Rishi Sunak is the favourite at 11 to 10. 11 to 10, he's followed by Penny Mordaunt at 7 to 2 and Ben Wallace at 8 to 1. And Jeremy Hunt's odds are 9 to 1, but he apparently won't be standing from the role. And former Prime Ministers Boris Johnson and Theresa May sit at 13 to 1 and 16 to 1, respectively. And then lastly, followed by Michael Gove at 31 to 1, and Grant Shapps 35 to 1, and Suella Braverman at 55 to 1. And that was literally a few hours ago. So that's what the bookies are saying. I personally pretty much that we should really be calling for another general election. I think that this system is not working. It didn't work before, and we have very poor choice. I think we need a change. We need to hear what the British gut, what the British public want. I don't know if we're going to have a general election, but I do believe that that would probably be the best way forward because, you know, this way we can't gauge what they want. It's just who the party want as their leader, really, and there's not much choice to be honest. Robert Rook says that there needs to be a general election, but we have no mechanism for that, do we? The, we we live in a parliamentary democracy. It's whoever leads parliament, and parliament can last for up to five years. Whoever leads parliament is the prime minister. The role of prime minister is technically speaking nothing to do with who the British people elect during an election. There is no mechanism, is there, Robert? Well, this is the thing. I think the I think what some of this is pointing to is that it's not necessarily the individuals who are involved now. It's the system that's that's screwed. The system that's broken. Because and and you know, in terms of rules and that, it's interesting to note that we were told at the beginning of the summer when Boris went that it was going to be a, what two three month process of hustings and and chats on the radio and interviews and all the rest of it in order to choose. Uh, a new prime minister, and that choice would be made by the broader parliamentary party, which is like 150 or thousand people or something, 160 thousand people, mostly old white blokes. And uh, and now we're told that actually we can do this in a week. They don't get the vote anymore. It's just the parliamentary party <laughs> that get to vote, and uh, we'll all be done by next Friday. And we'll all go home for the weekend. So what the hell changed there? I mean, I'm happy it's happening faster, but it's a weird system that we could just change this stuff at will. But surely that's because we are in a national emergency. And so hence, we need to expedite the decision of who's going to be prime minister. We can't have an, another three months with another lame duck prime minister in who's in office, but has no influence and has no power. J Jason, I think we could have said exactly the same thing about in June, you know, no, Boris didn't have much of a support and, and we were in a national emergency back in June. We could have said exactly the same thing then, you know, it's not worse now than it was then. Jason Cunningham, is it worse now than it was back then? Surely the damning indictment of, of Liz Truss is that she'd been in power in office for 44 days and has seen the pound crash, mortgage prices rise, pension funds nearly go bankrupt 
and so much for British sovereignty. We are no longer independent. Our financial moves are constrained by the money markets. Our largest trading partner, the EU, our trade has dropped with them by some 15 to 20 percent, dependent on which survey you, you, you choose to look at. So I put it to you, Jason, things are worse now than they were back in the summer, hence the expedited Tory leadership party race. Well, yeah, I mean, it's when you put it in figures, it's, it's unmistakable. But I do, you know, and, and, and I don't want this to come across as a defence of, of, of her, but I struggle to see who else could have done anything. I mean, they're, they are... I don't know when she took the job on. I was just, I can't believe people would want to take that role on right now. I just, I think everyone is, it's the same now, you know, with this, this new leadership election. What nut job is going to feel that they can rescue us? It seems we're so far down the rabbit hole. It's, I think it needs an election just to be able to draw a line under it. And I think this is, if ever there was a reason for a, a good reason for an election is to just to draw a line under where we are sort of scrap it it's almost like start again because you know the the post-brexit fiasco the you know then plus obviously i mean you know the ukraine stuff not helping but i don't believe for a second that that's you know just the root of it even though that seems to be the party line but it's all just snowballed and i don't know i honestly don't think anyone could have come in and done a particularly good job she has done a spectacular job of completely fucking up but the trouble with her was was that she had no, there was no integrity there. You know, we all knew that she was someone that would just change her mind in order to gain, you know, uh, the job, the promotion. It's been, it's been, you know, so she, she but, arrived but it, but Jason, having, with it, no it, kind of authority in my eyes. Jason, isn't that called pragmatism though? Right. You know, when when circumstances yeah. change around you, aren't you then supposed to change course? That's called pragmatism, surely. Yeah, that's no, and that's a, that's a, no, and that's a very good point. That's a very good point, and you know, yeah, absolutely, and reflecting and moving forward, and yeah, I get that, and uh, which is why probably you know it doesn't matter who took the role on at the moment. It's away, it slipped away from underneath them. It's it's, it's barreling down the down the hill. If they want to take it to the full term, fine, because it will just explode when it gets to the bottom. I don't know if we did it now whether they have a chance of winning anyway, but I really do feel like uh, the time. It's just time to reset, isn't it? And at least. Someone can then come in on a mandate of like, okay, well, you know, this is where we st- starting point, rather than trying to jump on a moving, a moving runaway train. Mike, one one thing that I think I think it was Jason that, that said this. He said, "I don't know who could have come in and, and could have done a better job." And I must admit, I, I fervently disagree with that. I'm no fan of the Conservative Party. That that's pretty clear. You know, I've got eight years of fundamentally talking against it, but. Um, do appreciate a relatively safe pair of hands. I do appreciate when somebody is prescient when they say, whilst running to be the leader of the Conservative Party, that the economic policies espoused by the other person who's running, Liz Truss, will put a run on the market and is a cloud cuckoo land economics. If we'd have had Rishi Sunak in as our Prime Minister, prime minister for the last 44 days the pound the pound would not have crashed because he would not have introduced that mini budget so surely this isn't just the case as jason says of whoever was in power there would have been the same outcome there the were different outcomes for whoever would have been prime minister yeah i think that's possibly right i mean it's fair to say that the things that the strange thing about Liz trust premiership is she made these promises to, to get elected. She got elected, but people didn't really think that she was going to do them because 
as Rishi Sunak pointed out, these things you're saying will crash the pound, they will crash the markets, they will lead to inevitable necessity for massive cuts and, and, and you can't just cut taxes in an unfunded way because the markets won't stand it. And she said, no, it's all right. The Institute for Economic Affairs, my apologies, tell me it's okay, it works. And she believed it. She, I mean, she was as, if anything, as much a, a victim of this con as anyone else. We may get the chance now to see whether Rishi Sunak uh, will uh, or can at least steer the ship in a, a slightly better direction, but she's done such damage. I mean, Boris Johnson trashed the, the Conservatives, in my opinion, trashed the Conservatives' reputation for probity, decency, honesty. And then Liz Trust came along and took out the last brick in the wall, which was management. So it's, although, yes, quite possibly, if, if Rishi had got through, things may have been different, they may have lasted a, a good bit longer. A lot of things that have happened were kind of in the pipeline anyway. Interest rates were going to go up and will continue to go up. The cost of fuel was going to be very high and will remain very high, even though the wholesale cost of fuel is, is, is now quite low. But all these things were in the pipeline anyway. But Liz Trust just took an instant hodgepodge of ideas that she'd been given and just threw them all at everyone in day one. Well, people were, well, they called it shock and awe, but yeah. That shock and awe when it happens to the markets doesn't go down too well. Cool, Rook. Let's look at these runners and riders. Let's go through the list. And not everybody is actually throwing their hat in the ring, so to speak. But Sir sure. Ian Brady has basically said that you've got to have a hundred other MPs backing you, of the ninety-nine, because you can back yourself. So that's the threshold, which fundamentally means that not only is it going to be a quick process, but they fundamentally want a coronation they want a lot of the horse trading to be done actually away from from the polls so we have very obviously rishi sunak penny mordant boris johnson if the telegraph is to be believed and some of the people briefing on his behalf as well as braverman kebby badenock savage javid grant shaps ben, ben wallace ben confirmed as not running jeremy hunt and and mike penny mordant why should she potentially be our next prime minister, the fourth woman to hold that office? It's an interesting thing because people still kind of link her, in a sense, to Liz Truss. I don't know if they have that much more confidence in her. I think her basic skill set is that she made history by becoming the UK's first female defence secretary. And she she was, I think, a naval reservist, I think, who she has served as um, within under the armed forces, you know, or within the armed forces under David Cameron. So I think from that perspective, people kind of are a little bit in awe of her. And I think that's her skill set. Liz Truss didn't seem to have much going for her, you know. But the interesting thing is I was having a conversation with somebody earlier about the fact that, and without kind of deep diving into this, because I'm really just making a quick statement. And of course, it is Everything is dependent on the capabilities of someone going into leadership as opposed to their gender. But I said it's quite curious that, you know, Margaret Thatcher seemed to be the one that everyone loved, but every other woman since then has has, has not had an easy time of it. If you only look at what happened before and now, you know, in the last two prime ministers who were females, they didn't have a very easy time of it, really. It seemed to be a little bit of bullying going on behind the scenes, but that's another topic to look at altogether. But I, I, I don't know. 
I don't know whether Penny will make it. I, I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of push on, you know, the men to make it to that position. That's just my gut feeling. Robert Best, can you advocate for a premiership of Suella Braverman or Kemi Badenoch? Take either one of those, sir. Definitely not Braverman, who dreams of sending refugees to Rwanda. And to be honest, I don't know anything at all about Kemi, so I'm afraid not. The only thing I would say was something I was thinking about earlier and then was confirmed elsewhere was that the idea that Sunak would step into the role seems a little bit unlikely, or at least it's it's asking for trouble, because what you've got next door is is Jeremy Hunt, who's decided that he's going to stay on as Chancellor. And Rishi Sunak is clearly better at the job and better qualified at the job than he is. So I think that would cause kind of quite significant tensions between numbers 10 and 11. Jason, uh, last question to you before we open this up to people in the audience to come and join us. Is there anybody else who has whose name has not been mentioned who you think that the Conservatives would be wise to place in the top job no savage javid feel... grant chaps uh, savage javid safe pair of hands definitely not grant chaps definitely not grant chaps grant chaps after the catastrophe of transport over the last ben wallace you know, few, no. ben wallace mm. decent bloke you know current defense secretary i think i think okay do you know what actually yeah from a military because of his kind of like you know the, the stability of the mid of a kind of a military yeah yeah that was not a bad show actually yeah Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah. Now is the time if you're in the audience to raise your hand and to come up. And uh, we'll kind of try and expand the, the, the conversation a little. Hands, welcome. Welcome, Hands. Uh, where, exactly are, where exactly are you on planet Earth today, Hands? Oh, the States. And, and I, I, I think rather than Rishi, I think they ought to give Tommy Tugendhat until Boxing Day to get something moving forward. I think what, he should get the nod. Why 
until Boxing Day. Tom Tugendhat did run before his very much a One Nation Tory, rather like the current Defence Secretary, has a background in the military, always likes to parade that. His patriotic credentials are, you know, are impeccable. But why are you only giving him until December 26th? Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, that's that's how long the uh, British people will probably give him until until Boxing Day. And then they would want a clean sweep for probably, you know, Rishi would probably get for a new year. <laughs> I, I, I must admit, I must admit that I was somewhat surprised that one of my, what, I, I can't remember if it was Jason or Robert, I think it was maybe Jason. But Jason, did you say that you were surprised why anybody would want the job? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I just well, I just think political ambition, sir. You're going to be the prime minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and and surely you you say to yourself, things have got so bad that there's there is nothing other than an upside. Yeah, but maybe it's like I'm the person for the job and all. I just just think I just think right now. I think if you come in, if you go into an election with a new with a whole new map, you know, you can sort of like really just sort of have a starting point, and I get that. It's this, this, this kind of like midway handover, catastrophe hand the baton over. I don't know why anyone would feel that, that they were prepared. But, you know, fair enough. That, I get it. Political ambition. And they feel that they're confident enough to do it. But I just, I can't, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near it. Mike Holden. Hello. Yeah, I'm, I was just looking at the numbers now. And I must say, if anyone gets until Boxing Day in, in the uh, number 10 from the Tory party now, they'll have lasted significantly longer than the current, the only one who comes near uh, to Liz Truss's short period in office was George Cannon. He was in power for 192 days. J-Mac, welcome, welcome, welcome to the stage. What is your point? Actually, just a question. After recently being in Scotland and experiencing the UK to a little bit of an extent, my question would be, with your current political state of affairs and looking for a new person in charge, other than the war and energy issues what are two or three other narratives that somebody who wants to be in power can capitalize on that's a great question sorry yeah go for it robert feel free to answer yeah that's a really good question i mean i think you know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues floating around which which can be which can be capitalized on you know we're running into we're starting to run into funding shortages, food shortages, spending cuts across lots of departments, including usually protected ones like defence and, and the NHS. We've got, you know, inflation, which is, as, as Jason said, is being landed at the door of Putin, which I don't really believe. There's some of it, but not really. There's a cost of living crisis, which which is actually a cost of lockdown crisis, really, I think, a lot of that. You've got energy bills, you've got the ambulance crisis, you've got breaking supply chains, left, right and centre. So I think there's a lot of lot of things that they can point a finger to which kind of distracts from what's going on at the at the heart of you know what we still laughingly call government at the moment which has actually been referred to currently as rot in the conservative party by quite a lot of media Mm. yeah i mean the other the other issue if if i can is 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 old faithful you know migration um you know it's just it's just this it's the one that's taken us right through brexit it continues to be the ongoing narrative and you know and, and and came up in in the resignation speech from the home secretary again this time you know it's, it's just this ongoing tapping into tapping into to that 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 fear that has been instilled in so many people about migration in this country 
Can I, can I just add a caveat to that very quickly is that, you know, it's interesting that you say that because you know that every year the government has a quota for bringing in people from various countries to fill certain roles because there's a shortage of them. Well, apparently this year they are sending a delegation out to Sri Lanka to bring in about 20,000 nurses because the NHS is so deficient of them that that's what they're trying to do. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of ludicrous, isn't it? And what really? happens in Sri Lanka then? What happens to the Sri Lankan health well, system? They, the they people who've trained them and... Not just Sri Lanka, they're sending a delegation to Sri Lanka, but a number of India, Pakistan, a number of other countries, but they're actually, I think, starting off with the delegation to Sri Lanka to try and entice them over because our NHS is really kind of, you know, slipping a bit because we just don't have, we're so under-resourced, really. So it's interesting that that's, that's where immigration is being currently focused on, you know, getting these people to come over and offering them a home if they can, you know, become nurses at those wages, obviously, which will still be a lot than they probably get in Sri Lanka or India, for that matter. That, that, that is an interesting point and a poignant point for us to actually to, to think about one of the reasons why we've ended up in this mess, that there was apparently a one a 40-minute shouting match yesterday, if the media is to be believed, between the Prime Minister Liz Truss and Suella Braverman, the, the the Home Secretary and people don't understand what that means. That's the Law and Order Minister, the Interior Ministry. Liz Truss wants there to be a more liberal immigration policy because it aids the growth of the economy. And Suella Braverman fundamentally said no and they had, they had a shouting match yesterday. James, you've joined us on stage. You've said that the immigration policy of the UK is a mess. The population is aging. More young working people are needed. Is this is immigration going to be one of the fulcrums, the nexus points of the next general election? Do we need a much more open Britain? I'd, on economic grounds, I would say yes, the country does need to be more open. I think it's probably not that difficult to find anecdotes of, you know, highly qualified or well-resourced, wealthy people who have huge difficulty moving to the UK because of the incredibly stringent immigration rules which have been enacted under a, a number of Home Secretaries sort of leading all the way back to Theresa May in particular and David Cameron when if you remember they had this this target around getting net migration figures down and because at that time the UK was part of the EU and so it's it's almost just like moving within a single country and they didn't have a direct control over the EU migration. Instead, they decided to target kind of skilled migration from outside of the UK. So it didn't really matter who they were blocking as long as the numbers were trending down in the right di direction, which I think was a, an idiotic decision to put it lightly. And to answer your first question, will it be a like a, a fulcrum or a, a pressure point at the next election? Yes, because it, it was it was. I think the reason for Brexit taking place and for that Brexit vote going through, I think it remains an issue now. It remains an anxiety now. And the the case for modern modern day immigration and the benefits that can bring to the country, I think, has not been made well, has not been made properly. There's been too much focus on a lot of truths, I think, and half-truths around immigration unfortunately, over the last the last 12 years. So immigration will remain a, a huge problem and the country does need to do something to deal with the ageing population. Elena, welcome to the stage. From your foreign perspective, how does Britain seem today? Oh, goodness. You're asking such a serious question. I actually came up with not a very serious comment. 
But just yesterday, you were asking us all to opine what would be in stock for the prime minister. But all uh, experts in British politics, I am not. However, I the comment I wanted to make is I'm a little bit surprised. You all are forgetting a very viable unity candidate, Larry the Cat. He won in that, with a 95% an opinion poll on Twitter <laughs> a couple of months ago. The, pro the problem is with Larry the Cat, we, we need somebody who can actually stand at the dispatch box in Parliament and actually deliver government policy coherently. Meowing constantly, I don't think that's going to calm people's nerves, considering that the money markets are incredibly jittery, let alone the, the, the great British public. We have Larry in our affections, but to lead a nation of 67 million people, to have his paw on the nuclear trigger? I don't know, Elena. You know, he, he might make better decisions than some of us, our politicians are making. But seriously, forgive my comment. I just couldn't resist. Thanks for having me here. No worries. No worries. And, and for those of you that don't know who we're talking about, and number 10 Downing Street, which is the official home of the British Prime Minister, since about 2012, I believe, has had a cat basically. And so fearsome, so cool is Larry the cat that there was a video taken about the last two months or so where Larry faced down a fox and Downing Street and, and Larry saw off the fox. So this is a, this is a cat that you do not mess and trifle with. It's, uh, it was employed as a mouser to chase, to chase the mouses in Downing Street. And it now chases the foxes as well. Ricky Shea, welcome onto our stage, sir. Technically, the last 24 hours, well, the last 44 days, technically we can call it a shit show, but give us your take on the last 44 days, which you've been the premiership of Liz Truss. Well, just a little point. I think that Larry the Cat may be a good answer because if you look at Belgium, they've had a hung parliament for decades and they seem to have done better without the politicians than with. So maybe at this stage, since Labour have got given us no costed plans of how they would fund anything, I mean, this has been going on for months. People, they come on Sky News, on, they come on the BBC, they go and see Laura Koonsberg and she asks them the same question. What labour are your plans for costings for getting things done? And they say, well, we're not going to give them because we don't know what the Conservatives are doing. Well, we're not going to know what the Conservatives are doing for a long time, but it doesn't mean that the opposition can't have an idea or a plan. So, so maybe I'm, I quite like the idea of a Larry the Cat to come in, a caretaker that just lets businesses get on with business, people get on with doing the the best they can, the NHS to run themselves. Every time anyone else tries to meddle in all these institutions, whether it be at the Bank of England, be it uh, any of the institutions, they just seem to make a mess. I don't think politicians are good at running stuff. I think the people who run the stuff every day are better. I think the last 44 days have been a great exercise in understanding that a lack of experience is the worst thing to bring to the job of being a prime minister. That's me. I'm out. You seem to be arguing for, for two things at the same time there, Ricky. On the one hand, you're saying politicians are, are no good. And then on the other hand, you're saying, but actually we need people with experience be, to be able to run the country. And I think your example of Belgium is completely, utterly a fair one. Here is a country that I forget how long there wasn't a functioning government in Belgium. But, but the country didn't fall to pieces. The institutions got on and, and just ran the place. And, and, and in Italy, Mario Draghi was famously called a technocrat. He wasn't a politician politician. He just got on and just made sure that the country had just like tootled along. 
and he ended up being uh, the most popular politician in Italy for half a generation and he was not a politician so I think you you make a good point but do we not need politicians or do we need a safe pair of hands somebody with experience Ricky Shea which one do we need we, we need both at the same time we need a politician who's not going to make radical change and try and shift everything at a point when everything is crumbling around you you can't build a new house on shaky foundations or foundations that are crumbling and that's what Liz trusts try to do, try to shift the goalpost at a time when we don't know what the players are doing on the field. So you need to set a vision, fix it, and then, but you have to do that. And then you need to spend time to build up the critical infrastructure, to build up the teams, to build up the experience, to communicate that to the people, to have the evidence of why you're communicating that, and then have the ability, the, the nonce, the, the charisma to execute the plan where everyone's on your side. In all those areas, we've been sadly lacking with any of the candidates that have come forward. And the problem with Rishi is that he's seen as a bit smug. He's been smarmy, meaning that we can't really trust him. He's like eaten, educated, elitist, public school. We don't know whether you are just telling us because you want us to hear it or you really believe it in your heart. Ricky. Um, quite interesting because Ricky, I'm, Ricky, one second, one second. I'm not down for old Etonians. Right. There are there is more than one primary school, junior school, etc. in the country, which other than Harrow and Eton, where we can draw a pool of our prime ministers from. So I am not down for that. But when you say Rishi Sunak is smug, to be fair to the to the gentleman, he said in the summer, Liz, if you're going to cut taxes right now, borrow heavily. This is cloud cuckoo land economics. It will crash the pound. He was proven right. He has every reason to be just a tad smug because he was vindicated by the last 44 days. Can I also add to that just very briefly that another big mistake just going on what Ricky's saying is that, you know, Liz was always going to have an issue because she did not understand her limitations. And basically, she was building her cabinet from different parts of the party. So she did not want any of Rishi's supporters in office. And she was basically just bringing in her personal allies. So yeah, she already dug that grave for herself. I don't think it's anything to do with Rishi Sunak being smug, ultimately, because I think had she had his supporters in office, I think she might have had a bit of a different ball game. She would have made better assessments. She would have gone, you know, and looked at the markets instead of making those rash decisions that she did that led to her downfall. Couldn't agree with you more. If you're listening to this podcast at home and there's a goodly few thousand of you that download each episode, why don't you download the Clubhouse app? Clubhouse is the platform where we record the vast majority of our mid-Atlantic rooms. It means that you, dear listener, can be in the audience when we go live in one of these recordings. It means that you can raise your hand, you can come up on stage and be part of the podcast. So download the Clubhouse app today and join us on a future mid-Atlantic. Again, if you are listening to the podcast, why don't you go to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. If you think we deserve five stars, that'd be most awesome. The more reviews we get, 
we actually widen our listenership. So if you are at home, one way you can support Mid-Atlantic and all the things that we're trying to do here is by going onto Apple Podcasts, writing us a review, and we will give a shout out to everybody that writes us a review at the end of the show. Right, so we have a few new people on stage. I'm going to wind the recording up in about the next five minutes. So please be brief. So, Guta. Hi, good evening. I am bringing actually the position from doubling this afternoon with the resignation. And our Tishok is actually really anxious about who is going to take over because the feeling here is trying to take over the negotiations, the outstanding issues between the Brexit, which involves the Irish border, and the treat in the north. So which name do you guys think would be the best going forward to to that relation between the islands? Because it has to continue, let's say, peaceful and prosperous for both, as they are great commercial partners beside any history behind us. Right. I'm going to throw that question out for anyone actually to answer. But Guta, a point of clarification, you misunderstand me. When I say that Britain doesn't care, it's not that we don't care what Ireland thinks. We do not care sufficiently about the Northern Ireland Protocol. And we don't, and we definitely don't care. Or let's, let's say we're, we are neutral on the future of Northern Ireland joining a Southern Ireland. Most British politicians have accepted that as an inevitability. It is not a live political issue. That is not at all to say that we don't appreciate Ireland and, 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 and think that what the Taoiseach of Ireland says has importance. It's just that to do with Northern Ireland, we know that it's just a matter of time before it re reunites with yeah. United Ireland. That's the point. That's the point. Right. That's the it point. Especially when at the Belfast at the moment has not an effective government. We have re elections in two or three weeks. Absolutely. And their tensions are rising and people are very concerned about it. So I'm going to chime in here. Thanks, Roy Field, for the podcast. You know, now that the dust has settled, I mean, here I've been l looking at the United States reaction in D.C. and they've got obviously a very, very strong role in the Good Friday Agreement and generally the relationship of Northern Ireland to um, to to America and the U.K. And, you know, Biden's response was very run of the mill, may much wanting to sort of, well, interestingly, he didn't make any emphasis to the special relationship of Britain to America, illustrating to you once again how much British media puts onus on that when Americans don't. I think, you know, Cien Fuey has done well in the in the recent Irish sort of activities, shall we call them, earlier this year. And and after Brexit, the, role, the potential for reunification has really, really garnered a momentum. And when you see the political instability that is happening happening in Whitehall and in London, this only causes more likely parts of Northern Ireland's voters to feel that maybe they're better off going, you know, rejoining with the Republic of Ireland. It, that wouldn't happen easily. And, and it's not something that is likely to happen overnight, like in the next 
sort of year or something but it's when we have the continued emphasis by scotland for a referendum you know northern ireland would likely say well if scotland's gonna do it then why not us and then maybe even wales so there is this constant in the back of one's mind if parliament if london if westminster can't get their act together then you know it's going to only make more of the other countries in the union think well why on earth should we stay around because they clearly don't care about us they just want to keep themselves in power and put england above anybody else the other things i just wanted to speak to whilst i've got it in my contribution for this discussion is you know your listeners on the podcast i'm sure are going to be wondering about the the subsequent impacts of this and i think Rishi Sunak has skeletons in the closet. Everybody has skeletons in the closet, though. And my first and preferred option is one, that we have an election. As I've said before in other places earlier today, this is a cancer that needs to be killed out from the root. And that root is getting the Conservative Party out of power for the time being. It doesn't mean I'm a Labour supporter, I'm not. I vote based on the people at the time, the policies and the context. But the context now is that the Tory party are so broken, so shameless in the way that they run. They have this, as I'm sure you've discussed earlier today, there's two factions which are infighting and making the party simply unworkable and therefore the government ungovernable. So until there is a complete reset where the Tories go away, reevaluate themselves, review themselves, restructure themselves, have a, you know, new cohort of people coming in for a 2028 election or something like that. You're not going to see effective, sustainable, systemic change. And that's a fundamental problem. I'm not a massive fan of Sir Keir Starmer. He's a bit vanilla. He lacks a bit of charisma, but he's more in terms of what we need now. Global volatility, energy crisis, food insecurity, the Ukraine war. We need stability, we need continuity, and we need predictability. And he is that. And I think he would be a better candidate to take the country through for the next period than someone. However, we don't get that option because of the way the Tory party elect replacements. So therefore, if we had to pick someone, well, then Rishi Sunak probably seems like the most responsible. Bookie's favourite by over 50% now, Penny Morden second. And I could see those two as other members of the Conservative Party alluded to running as a tag team in sort of prime minister deputy b etc and i think that that would be a good way to weather the storm but again it comes back to this broader point that there's a fundamental issue with the political system of britain the political makeup and generally our attitude to to politics ever since particularly brexit which has you know influenced heavily the way we vote the last thing i just want to emphasize is also i think this is a good illustration that we need to get people into the positions that have the skills not about whether they're a woman, not about whether they're from a certain background or anything like that. It needs to be based on their competency to do the job. Liz Truss was not capable of that. And she quickly made that very clear and how quickly the party ran, ditched her and was all talking about how great Jeremy Hunt was for being in his position, right? And, you know, I'm all for representation and diversity, but it needs to make sure that it fulfills the job description properly. And that's what we are lacking, are better politicians, whether or not they've gone to Eton, I want diversification too, but clearly people who go to Eton have some degree of competency that is lacking in, in so many other existing members of the British Parliament at the moment. And so until we get a a restructuring or revisit of the kind of people that can get into senior ministerial jobs, we're going to have a, a continuous problem as well. But thanks a lot for letting me chime in and appreciate the podcast. I must admit, Mr. K, I think you and I generally chime when it comes geopolitically. We, we chime maybe 80% of the time. But but 
that that the last the last comment about people from Eton. I must admit, mate, I, I, I can't quite let that one go. No, I mean, but, not just for me, but I mean, just like if you've got people like Gavin Williamson coming from the University of Bradford telling people as defence minister that Russia should go away and shut up, that's not a good way to conduct for it. So, I, you know, I think that education is important and, uh, you know, universities are ranked for a reason. And I think we need to try and ensure that we get the best candidates for the best roles, is what I'm saying. Not only for me, too, don't right, get me wrong. All right. All right. Uh, let's park this conversation slightly for another time because i think there is there is a conversation to be had about the very narrow field of people that generally get the top job top jobs in british politics as to where they come from the the schools that they go to eton harrow and then the two universities invariably that they come from which is you know oxford and cambridge if you if you were to strike out those four institutions you know you have very few british prime ministers in the last in the last 50 years and that is fundamentally a, a problem and it, and it goes to a wider systemic problem in british society but it's a conversation which i'm more than willing to have in another forum but considering that we need to quickly wrap this this room up so Tyrion fisher so actually, I think the discussion has been going in a direction, and I think this was started by Ricky, and I think Piotr brought it further in this direction. And I think, I think the title or the, the theme is tech, technocracy. And I think what we're talking about is how do we choose our politicians? And, and the one way is that we look at charisma, and on the other hand, we look at actual political, not political skills, but actual technological in terms of how to run government. And my feeling is that needs to be an area we need to look into. How, how do we decide not how attractive a politician is, not what kind of sound bites they give, but what kind of policies and how, how, how successful are the policies? And, and not what school they come from. I agree. You know, it shouldn't be about schools. And I know academia can be terribly incestuous. But I think it needs to be a mixture of, of what kind of studies you've done and what kind of successes you've had in the political forum. And I think I just wanted to say I thought Ricky was bringing us in, a, in, a, in the right direction there. Thank you for joining me on yet another Mid-Atlantic. But I said I would give a big up and a thank you to people who have written us reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's what I'm going to do now. So first, I'd like to say thank you to Hastings79, Film Noises, RF4JG and JC Childress. If you'd like to get a shout out on Mid-Atlantic, why don't you go onto Apple Podcasts and write us a review today? So there you go. It's October the 20th. It's a Thursday, but a Thursday like, like no other. We've had a, a prime minister who has resigned, fallen on a sword, committed political ha Harry Keary after only 44 days of being in office. We've never seen the like of it since the office of prime minister was created in the 1720s. By far, she has the shortest tenure. Yes, the country is in unprecedented and political choppy waters, but for the most part, these have been self-inflicted by the Conservative Party. Whether you want to go all the way back to Brexit in, in 2016, this was an internal Conservative Party 
argument which they then unleashed out into the British public and ever since then we've had instability, political chaos and I think it's now about time that the British people realise that the Conservative Party is not fit for purpose. Yes, we do not have the usual mechanism to get real rid of this party forthwith but what we can do is make sure that as soon as the constitutional means are put in front of the British people to get rid of the Conservative Party, we don't just get rid of them, but we consign them to the dustbin of history for at least a generation because they need to pay the price for the economic and political woes which they've put on the British people. I'm Royful Brown. This has been a recording of the podcast Mid-Atlantic. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast, please support us by going on to Apple iTunes and writing a a review. And if you want to give us five stars, that'd be most awesome. One thing that we try and do here is to foster an understanding of people from the other side of the political aisle and, and also from people around the world. So if you're up for learning about other countries or the cultures and their politics and their policies, please keep listening to Mid-Atlantic and subscribe to us on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on. I've been Royfield Brown. Take care. Look after yourselves. Bye-bye. But look after your loved ones even better. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>